This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This Pine Tar for Breakfast episode is brought to you by Hatfield Quality Meats, makers of delicious Hatfield Phillies Franks. I think it's a question on a lot of people's mind right now is how are the pitchers staying sharp? How are the meetings going? Are they Zoom? Are they FaceTime? Well, why don't we get some answers? Pitching coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, Brian Price, coming up next right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. What up? And welcome to another episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast. I am your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Fantastic day here in South Jersey, Philadelphia area. And it is a time that we wish we were playing ball, but we're not. But instead, I have the pitching coach of Philadelphia Phillies joining me in a sec. That's right. Brian Price coming up right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. Why not? Let's send it right to him. Second time on the Pine Tar for Breakfast podcast is current pitching coach for your Philadelphia Phillies, Brian Price. BP, what's up, man? It's all good, Kevin. I was wondering if, um, you know, as a second timer, if there's something, you know, like Saturday Night Live, you know, you get some kind of an acknowledgement for yeah. being like a multiple time host. You know, I'm just wondering if, do I get a patch or. No, 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 you, no, 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 maybe some of your CH bread bowl. You yeah. yeah, you get a pat. We'll give you a pat <laughs> on the back when, you know, when it's uh, allowed and, and all that stuff. But uh, you and the fam staying safe. Obviously, you know, I'm talking to you, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we um, we're kind of a little isolated in a community out here in uh, eastern the eastern Phoenix metropolitan area. And um you know, for all intents and purposes, we have most of the things that we need here on site. And, you know, we don't do a whole lot beyond going out and getting groceries and going on some hikes, you know, so we are uh, pretty much uh, stay at home folks, at least for the time being. So, but it sure would be nice, uh, you know, when things, uh, when things turn around to be able to get out and mix it up with some, you know, some other people and other venues for sure. It's crazy to think, I mean, obviously being a part of the Diamondbacks organization, uh, so you've been there plenty during the summer, uh, late spring, all this stuff, but like, it is hot there and, it, and people are like, Oh, it's a dry heat. And I, and it, it's, it's stupid to say it. The only way I describe Arizona heat is go to the bathroom, put a hairdryer on your head and leave it in one spot for a good 30, 40 seconds without moving it. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so true. And the other part of it is, 
you know, you think you get conditioned to it because I moved down here in the early 90s. And, and of course, as I get older, it's like, man, I, I've had the last couple summers off. It's been like you got to get out of Phoenix when when it starts to hit 100. It's because the, in your 50s, the body just doesn't respond to it as it did in your 20s and 30s. Oh, I love it, though. But I mean, it, like, look, there there's so many things about Arizona, the spring training, uh, obviously winters are, are, are beautiful fall. People don't get it. October there is I, I will never put it with the Bay area. Uh, both you and I are from, uh, where, where September, October might be the most gorgeous mm-hmm. place on earth, but October okay. in Arizona, I mean, it is it, it's perfection. It is. No, you're right. I, I, there's just there's periods of time where you're here and you flip on the news and you see what people are dealing with uh, back east or up north, and you go, man, I just you're so we're so fortunate to be able to have at least a part of the year, a good part of the year here uh, in the Phoenix area in yeah. the state. And even if it does start to get a little warm and you shoot up north up into Sedona or Flagstaff. Um, uh, it's just a really nice uh, option. I'll tell you this, and you know, you noted it. We're both from the Bay Area, both both uh, you know Bay Area guys, and you have to find someplace really special mm-hmm. if you're leaving the Bay Area. You know, it, it's it's because for me, it took me a long time to get comfortable down here, and now I'm really glad I found this uh, this desert oasis because um, Bay Area is so expensive. Yeah. It it is exp- I mean, it's just a the different walk of life, but it's a very I'm not going to say it's not slow play, slow paced in Arizona, but it is, you, you continue on, you keep going. It doesn't feel old in, in that Phoenix area. Um, so, you know, one of the ideas, and this is not about the Rumorville, but this is a whole, you know, perspective on where we are with the game and everyone going, all right, everyone come to Arizona. We're going to have biodome out here. You might have been one of those few that were going, all right, I'm cool. I can stay at home. But, I mean, like, could you ever like, – you, you've been in Arizona. You've seen uh, the Arizona League, the, the you know, the, the Heat League. Uh, mm-hmm. What – the Fire League, whatever you want to call fire it. Fire League, it, yeah. Um, could you even sense that? Like, it was like, oh, my God, we're going to be playing games at 114 degrees? Like, no chance. Come on. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, once you start to realize that all these games are going to be played, with the exception of those that get a chance to use the, the uh, you know, to chase field, you mm-hmm. know, where the Diamondbacks play, you're, you're going to be completely exposed. And I, and I did my first two years of coaching were down here in the Arizona Rookie League in, in 1989 and 1990. And uh, back then, you know, to combat the heat, no one was playing in the complexes. Yeah. You're playing on backfields. And so there was no lighted opportunities for night games. So we had to – you know, we played our games. They initially are scheduled for 11 a.m. and then it gets hotter and you move them to, to 10. And it got to the one one point, I think, in 1990 where we had to bump the games up to to 9 a.m. because it was just too hot for the players to be on the field. Um, if, if you turn that around and you play complex baseball in the summertime and go, okay, well, maybe it's only 100 or 105 at 7 o'clock, yeah. uh, you, your, your training oh, time, man. which is roughly, right, three, three and a half hours before the game, right, it's going to be – you know, in the in in the in that June, July, August, uh, early September, you're going to be sitting at anywhere from you know 105 to 115, 118 degrees, and and that therein lies the challenges for me. Um, doable, but certainly not yeah. uh, optimal. Well, let, let's talk about what is doable and and certain things that we got to see. Uh, number one, you and I talked about it. Uh, you know, the first time I had you on, and 
it was your interaction with the pitchers, the pitchers and catchers. Uh, and I don't know if I asked you this. I, I listened back, so I, I, I was trying to say, like, I remember everything. I, I pretty much do. But uh, what changed between leaving the game to being back in the game? What was the difference for you? And not even that. I can, I can you know, like, condense it down and be like from being a pitching coach – you know, to manager, right? So you have that time. You come back uh, as a pitching coach. What has changed as the pitching coach part uh, since you left? Well, it's it's a big difference. You know, my last year as a pitching coach was 2013, mm-hmm. you know, so I was really away from it for better part of six-plus years. Um, not that I wasn't, you know, I didn't have some opinions when I was managing, um, but, you know, I, I wasn't the hands-on pitching guy when I was managing the Reds. So, um, the, the biggest changes really have been um, have been in uh, how we teach pitching. And when I say changes, I just think that there's more and more people in the game now that have opinions, counter uh, opinions of how to develop pitching. Mm-hmm. And, and the game has moved into such a direction of power, both as hitting as hitters, as an offense and as a defense with pitching is that we're really looking at the huge home run productivity numbers go up and the strikeouts go up in velocity from a pitching perspective. And, and so that to me is one of those things that you've kind of got to find a way to negotiate because, you know, I'm 57. I've been a pitching coach since I was 27. You know, I, I mean, I, I've got some pretty defined opinions, not that I'm not Mm -hmm. malleable to this, to, to where I I can't continue to get better and learn more. You have your own analytics. Like, I do. I do. I, I think I, you know, I have my opinion on how to develop pitchers and, and what the best pitchers look like, what they can do and how they get to that place. It doesn't mean I'm right 100 percent of the time, yeah. believe me. But I have a very, very strong opinion on how to develop pitching and what I believe in. And, and what I what I believe in is based on a lot of historical perspectives, you know, what I've seen over the 30 years as a coach, but also what I learned as a youngster, what I read about. Uh, you know, from from people that were a lot smarter, a lot more experienced than me when I was growing up as a child and and uh, things that I've learned along the way. And I think trying to find a way to get all these different opinions into a place where they can be productive, um, where they're not going to counteract each other yeah. uh, is probably the biggest challenge. And the other part is I, I just feel like pitching is such a craft. It's such an art. You know, you're skillful art, a skillful artist. That doesn't mean that the power pitchers of, of 50 years ago, 100 years ago, weren't, weren't um, respected for being able to power the ball by people. But, but moving into that direction and that trend of max velocity and missing the bat has a, it can be counterproductive too in as yeah. far as the wear and tear on the arm and how long it bats last and how, much, how many walks there are uh, you know, over the course of, of, uh, of a game or a season, um, how, few balls are put in, how few balls are put in play, and the fact that I think the great thing about baseball is you could be Joe Morgan or Randy Johnson, you could find a way to play this mm-hmm. game. You could be Dwayne Kuyper, right? Mm-hmm. You could you could be uh, you could be uh, Bobby Bonds, Barry Bonds, you know uh, Matt Williams, you know him hitting all these San Francisco guys, Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa. You know you could be all these different types of players and find a way to to thrive in this game. 
based on a, a series of different skill sets. And now it's really getting to be power versus power. If you mm -hmm. can't homer or you can't miss the bat with velocity, you have, you're less likely to be able to find a niche for yourself in the game. And I don't like that at all. Not one bit. Yeah. I, no, I, and I agree. Cause I love the diversity of the game and, and we're not talking uh, a, a, like it's a negative thing, but it, it like having so many different types of athletes to get jobs done is fun. Like to watch how someone can navigate his way through a lineup is going to be different than, you know, the other guy, not one set way. And I feel like I'm not saying in its entirety, but a lot of baseball has gone to that. Like, Hey, well, we're just going to throw it to here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that because mm -hmm. this guy can't hit that. Well, again, we have to be able to match up our strengths and, you know, from the Absolutely. pitching side, uh, I think, look, when you say craft, I mean, you could talk about hitting, as a craft, uh, fielding as a craft, but for me, no the repetitions as a pitcher to watch guys go over and over of hitting a, a spot down and away to a hitter, um, and then move on to the next pitch and be able to be, you know, just precise, I find to be fascinating. I, I, I always have, I, and I always will. As a hitter, I love those guys because they gave me fits. But it gets you thinking as a hitter, you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, win that battle. And this power versus power, it's just like, man, I don't know if there's a lot of thought. I really don't. And, and, and look, we always talk about less thought is better. But there's a process that's involved as a hitter, as a pitcher as well. And you just, I, I just don't see the process being navigated by the player more or less, you know, like by data and all this stuff. I, I feel like that's where it's at. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I think I've always looked at baseball uh, as a chess game, and I, and I don't want to see it turn into checkers. Mm -hmm. You know, checkers is very simple. It, it what, you know, you know what's going to happen ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, chess, you don't move to move. It completely changes the way the game is played. I mean, um, and you were hitting on it. You know, all these different uh, parts of the game that um, are so are artistic, and you think about. Um, you, know, you could go to a game to watch Ozzy Smith or Omar Vizquel play short or Gary Maddox play center, you know, because you want, you could see the, 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 the breaks, the coverage, the amount of ground they cover, the accuracy and strength of their arms, the athleticism. I mean, that's something that you would go to a ball game to see, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to lose that. And I th I know all these things are like cyclical or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, the pendulum's going to continue to swing from one side to the other. So, you know, we will get back to the, where we start to really, uh, um, um, covet uh, the speed game, speed and defense, um, being able to to limit run production, uh, the, the 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 tighter, low scoring games, um, and and I hope to get back to the point where where our starting pitchers can throw more innings and we can you know expect less out of the bullpens each year because because in the end, some you know when the starters aren't throwing the innings, the relievers are. And, uh, you know, you build starters to throw innings. And I think that's what we want to pay to see. If I know that, that Kershaw is, is, is pitching, I'm going to want to see him because I think he's still going to be out there in the seventh, eighth, and maybe the ninth inning. Um, I'm not only going to see him twice through the lineup, yeah. and then he's going to be out. I 100% I, I agree. I, I think it's uh, – I love that you bring up Kershaw. I mean, they'd be in town right now uh, in, in Philadelphia <laughs> during this perfect weather that we have, right? So it's, it, it, it's, it's real. It's there because for me – Pitching to contact was always what I heard growing up. And I wasn't a pitcher, but I loved being around the coaching part of it, right? And, and listening and because I felt as a hitter, I could pick up some, on some things. What are they talking about? The pitching coach, catcher, pitcher, all this stuff. 
And I, I don't know. I Pitching to contact was such a huge deal. We're pitching away from contact so much that we're not seeing those complete games. I don't know if it's so much the, you know, it, it is a part of the, you know, second time through the order, third time through the order. But it's because those guys have already taxed themselves. They're like, go 100% right out. You know, there's no feel. There's no, you know, like Verlander. Verlander just eased his way in. And sure enough, there's eight innings through. And you're like, damn, like, that's how it's done. Like, I'm, I'm not going to show you everything the first time through. You're going to get something else in the second. And and that's that's a lost art. Well, yeah, and he'll be stronger, right? He gets strong. You know, they yeah. talk about great starting pitchers get stronger throughout the course of the game is because they're not going max effort from the first pitch because they trust that they can command and change speeds there to get their themselves through the lineup the first couple of times. And if they have to be able to pound the fastball, you know, late in the game and beat people with velocity – um, that's great. But, you know, I mean, it, like pitching to contact, the whole idea is that we're not going to chase the strikeout from the first pitch. You know, if you're yeah. always sitting in 0-2, counts, we all know that nothing's going to happen. There's no way to advance uh, via the strikeout. You know, guys don't can't get on base. Runners can't advance if the hitter can't put the ball in play. So it's a great place to, to be able to get to in your two strike counts. But I think when your goal is from the first pitch of the at bat to miss the, the bat, uh, you know, the, the other part of that is just tempo of the game. We're always talking about the game's too slow. And the other part is, you know, we were always taught is that keep your defense interested. Yeah. They, if they anticipate the ball being thrown over the plate and the ball being put in play, you're going to get a better performance from your defense. But because offense is such a – is so highlighted right now, you know, we big time with all these platoon baseball we do and we shuffle great players. You know, look at Chris Bryant and all the mm-hmm. positions he's played. That You can't be prioritizing defense if Chris Bryant plays three or four different positions on your club, you know, over the course of a week. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, but again, that's the type of game I like. I know that there's a whole new generation yeah. of baseball fans that like the big thing, like the big home run and the strikeouts and the see the 100 mile an hour fastballs. I get it. Um, I'm just talking about what I like about the yeah. game. And if the game gets too far away from from what I like, you know, I, I know that that it's just not something that I would want to do. You know, yeah. I just said this it, is something that has to have what I do has to have value to an organization. I think with this group, it does. But I know there's another a lot of other organizations that are going to continue to chase strikeouts and swing and miss stuff and velocity. And uh, and I think that'll be detrimental to the game in the big picture. It won't be as interesting to watch. There, there's certain things and aspects of of coaching that I feel like uh, is it does not matter what sport, wherever you are, assistant coach, head coach, manager, whatever, that matters and it's winning. And so, you know, what gave you – if you if you peeled it back, obviously the win's going to be number one as a pitching coach, right? Like you're, you guys win. That's a huge deal. Absolutely. What did you take more satisfaction in? Was it the guy going seven innings uh, and, and, your you know, your bullpen coming in, finish off the last two – did you take a lot of pride in helping guide, you know, like when the guy came in, he's rolling and, and you get a CG out of him. Is there some aspect of pitching that you ever look at and you go, man, that was awesome. It just like, it, it just, everything was, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot. And, and I think first and foremost, it, it, you know, successful teams basically are driven by the starting pitching. Um, and, and for me, it's having, when you have five guys on the mound that are ready to pitch every fifth day that have eight guys behind them that are excited that they're on the mound, 
every time they take the ball and that they, they're not going to give up the ball. It's going to be a fight to get the ball out of their hands. And, and of course, you know, as a pitching coach, quite often it's the, the manager tells the pitching coach to, Hey, go tell uh, Joe over there. He's out of the game. <laughs> so I've had to have a lot of those face to face confrontations where you have to tell a guy he's Who's out of the, the game. Toughest? Uh, I'll tell you, LaVon Hernandez was, mm. was, and, and his brother, El Duque were, were very, very challenging. The, the thing that, that it, here's the thing, um, you know, Homer Bailey's one of those guys. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of Johnny Cueto, like unbelievable. He never wanted to come out of the game, mm. but, um, I think big picture is if, you have a relationship with your manager where like Lou Pinnell was unbelievable at this. You know, I, I'd go to Jamie Moyer or Aaron Seeley or somebody, you know, and, and Freddie Garcia and they'd say, Hey, I'm good. I have, you know, I, I don't want to come out. I'm feeling good, you know? And I'd go back to Lou and I'd say, Hey Lou, what do you think? You know, I, this guy feels good. He feels strong. And several times he said, Hey Brian, tell him he's back out there. And then we'll have uh, this particular pitcher up in the bullpen behind him when he goes out next inning so if anything starts to, you know, get sideways, that we already have a reliever, the right guy for that situation, ready in the bullpen, and uh, and that that tells the pitchers a lot of things, and it 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 shows a faith in their ability, uh, and you can build a trust with your starting staff because now they got to go out there and perform because they fought for that opportunity to go back out and start the next inning. So. Um, it's it's awesome when you have guys like that. When guys want to give you the ball after five or six innings and they've only thrown 80, 85, 90 pitches, um, you're probably not on, you know, real close to winning a World Series with that mm. bunch. They have to be driven to to finish what they started, even though they won't very often. They need to be driven to do that. Le- Levo was probably more pissed that you were going to take it away in a bat from him, though. <laughs> he he like, raked. Oh, my God. He did. He raked. And for a big man, he may have been oh, the he may have been the best defensive absolutely. pitcher I ever had on a staff. He's he was so good, sensational. I, I I always go back. I mean, facing him early on in my career, and and obviously as a, a barrier guy, watching him with the Giants and everything, and then you know the the, the Marlins and and all this stuff. You're, you're looking. He was so athletic, and you're going, my God, the the art. That's an art of being able to, you know, Greg Maddox made a living off of uh, being, you know, artistic with his, you know, two seam movement with his change mm-hmm. of just being precise, but always in perfect position to, to be, you know, the eighth guy on the, you know, out in the field, because we obviously know the catchers behind the plate, uh, but being a defender and, and how many times he saved himself. Levon was the same way. It's like, Oh yeah. my God, these guys are amazing. You're package. right. It, it's, there, there's, you know, we would have bunt plays in Arizona and, you know, so you'd be, and, and, you know, LeVon was in the game late after the sixth inning, a lot, seventh, eighth inning, a lot. And, uh, and you'd, so you'd be in those higher leverage bunt situations where, you know, first two guys are on, uh, Bob Melvin was managing the club. He's going to stick with LeVon, let him pitch out of trouble. And you get a bunt play on, uh, and LeVon would turn, we had, at the time at Mark Reynolds at third base yep. and he'd look at Mark and he says, I have the entire line. I have the whole line. You will not field this bunt. <laughs> uh, and it was just sensational because he's he could anticipate. He could throw the pitch he needed to throw to get a bunt, a, a bunt bunted in an area which he knew he needed to defend. I mean, it was a special talent that he had. He was he was a really gifted kid. Now, with uh, everything that you had seen for what five weeks, six weeks here in uh, Philly's camp before everything had shut down. 
we talk about sensational. There's the the Aaron Nolas, the Hector Neris's of the world. You know, when Sir Anthony was healthy and and he showed in his two outings, he was just disgusting. Uh, what did you what did you take away? Like, what was your biggest takeaway from the pictures that you saw? Not not about anything else other than what you had seen. Well, I think the, the biggest, I want to say it was a surprise. Um, I think I have to go into these situations optimistically with my eyes wide open, mm-hmm. um, is that I think we have more pitching depth than I anticipated. So when I got to see Connor Brockton and, and Garrett Clevenger and, and guys good. like that, and you, yeah, and you just, and you go, okay, there's there some guys in the system that are going to be able to help us this year. You know, Addison Russ coming off a really good year in double A last year, and he's got that defining pitch with that split. Um, I think, you know, Diolis Guerra, who's, who's pitching the big leagues already, uh, Reggie McLean, you know, guys that I don't want, they're not unheralded, they're on the roster, mm-hmm. but they haven't had those breakout seasons that get you really excited from a statistical standpoint, but then you see the stuff. And I think our analytics department's done a really good job in, in highlighting some of the things that they've done really well. And there's ways maybe to access and expose that a little bit more to mm-hmm. enhance their success in the big leagues. Um, I, I just think there's there's a lot of really positive things beyond the big names. You know, we know that that Neris and Alvarez and Morgan and and uh, you know Tommy Hunter should be back. We should have hopefully David Robertson in the summer at some point in time if we get back to playing. And and of course you're gonna have Nola and and Wheeler is a huge mm-hmm. impact guy and Arietta and you know that. But then to get to and you know I think Zach Eflin is. Is, is as talented as anybody we have in our rotation. I really do. I think, I think that, that uh, he, he could be a guy that could really be a foundation piece along with Nola long-term. And, and then we're trying to get the most we can out of guys like Pavetta and Velasquez because they have such big arms and so much uh, ability, but we want them to realize that talent and ability and be a part of a championship club and Ranger Suarez, who's mm. a real athlete. Talk about a guy, kind of a LeVon Hernandez yeah. guy who's not overpowering, but he's got great feel for pitching. He's a strike thrower and he feels his position. Um, it's just a lot of exciting names. And there's, I could name 20 more. You know, that, that's, that's the yeah. neat thing about where the organization is right now. Well, I, w- I mean, everything with Ranger Suarez, and look, he's, he's done a lot himself. You know, he's, he's a really good player, uh, pitcher, person. But he, he surrounded himself last year with Jose Alvarez, and, and, and Alvi to me is top notch. You talk about you know a mentor, someone who's looking out for everyone, not just himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You bring up a name like Addison Russ, and with Addison Russ, you know predominant split guy, and well, you already have one of those guys in in Hector Neris. Like how important. And maybe I, I'm way off on this, but is it important for like Addison to be around a Hector and to see how it, it's done because Hector's able to locate almost locate his split like it's a two seamer, like he, he's able to move <laughs> it around and do everything. Uh, I, I wonder is is he someone that you guys maybe not forced upon, but like hey, take a look at what he's doing and, and watch what he, how he executes things. Well, yeah, I think the thing that we, you know, we, we don't assign any matchups as, as you know, you know, you, mm-hmm. just, you really don't do that very often in baseball, but, but we do encourage our guys to watch those that have had success at the league and in the league and ask them questions. Cause, cause truth be told, you know, as coaches, you know, we, we all want to help in every way we can to help the players, 
uh, get better and maintain their their uh, their successes you know and and we take a lot of joy uh, from the success of others and and that's just a part of coaching but a lot of what these guys learn they learn from their teammates you learn a grip on yeah. a cutter you learn a different way to manipulate the ball on a split finger or a straight change um and so a lot of what these guys learn they learn standing in the outfield shagging during batting practice talking about how to manipulate the baseball, make it move, or go where you want it to go, and that's it's a really it's a really neat thing. So yeah. yes, we we really encourage that type of interaction. It doesn't always happen when it, you want it to, but when it does, it can be a difference maker. And and you could tell like with with certain guys, it's not about like well the, oh see that guy he's doing it, but you could just look and you're like this guy knows himself. If he knows himself, he's going and and, and surrounding himself with people that maybe aren't so much the uh, you know, when you're talking about BP and being the outfield talking, it's the guys that might not have the same strengths, but you're trying to get and gain one of those strengths. Well, you're, you're what, like you watch that stuff. I mean, as a manager, you're watching that stuff. Like who do these guys interact with? Do they understand right. this is bigger than just what you do, you know, in, in, you know, the seventh, eighth, ninth inning or sixth inning, whatever inning you may be in. It goes a lot further than that. It goes in spring training. It goes in BP. There's a lot of interactions going on. Is that something that you, you've you observed over the years that, that I'm not saying you look for, but you, you catch yourself at times going, wow, okay, there it is. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as when I was coaching, you know, um, you know, you typically spend most of the time during batting practice, you bullpens are done and, and, and your early work is done typically. And so you're standing in the outfield and, and trying to make your, you know, make your rounds and visit with the guys and talk to your relievers to see how they're doing, you know, how they're holding up, et cetera. And, but as a manager, you know, um, it's real easy to just start to get to that point where you're standing by the cage and watching the guys hit and, and interacting with the, with the, uh, with the position players. So I, I got in the habit and this came at the, at the, um, conversation I had uh, with Tony LaRusso after I first was hired to manage the Reds. And he said, Brian, I try not to stand around the cage too much because then I don't give the players that opportunity to come up to me in the outfield or me to approach them and talk to them in a situation outside my office, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of times there's that, you know, that connection with if there's a players in the manager's office, something is wrong. Yeah. There's that kind of negative connotation. But when you're kind of milling around and you're interacting with guys, you get a chance to see who's talking, who's clickish. Um, who are the guys that are like maybe a little disgruntled and are they hanging out together and, and, and wishing they had a better, you know, lot in life. Um, and who's the, the, the ones that are giving really good information and are really helpful and, yeah. and saying good things. Cause the other part is, you know, you have other guys that are not, not that their motivations aren't good, but sometimes they plant maybe the, a, a seed that isn't ripe for that particular environment yeah. you know and uh, next thing you know you got a pitcher that's going from the opposite side of the rubber or, or a hitter that's down in a crouch or upright or his hands are up or down or whatever and uh, um, you know sometimes those those are things that we would like to avoid <laughs> you're like oh god no what are you saying please please don't tell him he's tipping his pitches because he's not going to throw another strike the rest well, you, of know, the you know what it's interesting you say that because Stephen Caddy was our, our pitching coach in, in Washington. And uh, mm -hmm. when I had come over from Philly to Washington, there was one guy I owned, and it was always in the windup. It was Steven Strasburg. Mm -hmm. And he tipped like crazy. And, and I came over, and I was like, hey, Cat, you know, like, I don't know you at all, but I'm on the same team as this guy. 
uh, I don't want to see him get whacked around. Can I tell him? He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> Over time, we'll talk about it. And then after a start against the Marlins at home, uh, you know, Strauss came up and goes, what am I doing? And I, like, literally, I printed out four things. I put it in his locker. I was like, that's it. That's all it is. And sure enough, like two years later, he was just in the stretch because he couldn't control it. It was right. But it was like, I, I luckily, I luckily had the, the wherewithal to ask the pitching coach instead of just going right up to him. Cause like you said, that could have domed him up and you never know what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It, those are the great things to bring up after, after, you know, people go, well, that's not being very pro- proactive when a guy's out there yeah. getting hit up. And go, yeah, but those 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 scenarios only work for some guys because there's only a certain amount of of hitters that are comfortable kind of guessing or getting signs and feedback from the base coaches or mm-hmm. runners at second base or whatever when you're trying to tip location or pitch or whatever. So I think that um, like in your case, if you could you're that guy that was comfortable going, okay, I'm pretty confident there's gonna be a breaking ball here or a fastball yeah. and cheating out on that pitchers, there's probably as many, if not more, guys that are reluctant to do that and put themselves in a kind of a vulnerable place in case that's they don't get yeah. the right read and instead of sitting breaking ball, they get a fastball tight and, and you end up wearing it. You know, so so what we've always tried to do is encourage that conversation to happen in the bullpen or the next day when they're playing catch and bring them in and show them the video and then start to put that into work for the next outing. But, you know, that's a tough one because, you know, we want to help each other, right? You get your best buddy out there and he's getting whacked. You know, you want to go, Hey, I want to throw you a bone here and see if we can get this thing turned around right now. (laughs) Um, And it's tough. There's things I see like up in the booth and I'm like, how could, and I'll say something maybe later on, obviously not to a player, but maybe do a coach or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we don't see it. It's like, you don't understand. Like, this is something that, like, this is a puzzle for me. Like, this is yeah. something I get. And right. this is happening. Now. Yes. It, no doubt. It's a piece of it. Now, execution is another part because we saw it. Strasburg tipped the entire playoffs, but his stuff is so damn good. Like, beyond. Like, I, I, I it, it's ridiculous. He was, you know, flaring on his change of doing certain things, and mm-hmm. it was still not getting hit. That's how gross it is. So you don't change that. It's like, look, you're locked in. Go with it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly right. Brian, stay right there, and uh, we'll come back to this. Uh, got some good questions. Brian Price, pitching coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, right up after this, right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. When you want perfect Franks for a great game, nobody beats Hatfield, the official pork provider of the Philadelphia Phillies. When Hatfield's on the grill, you're guaranteed to get flavor as big as the game. Hatfield is dedicated to making game day Franks and sausages with the best taste and highest quality. And don't forget, Hatfield makes other American favorites like bacon, ham, marinated loins, and chops for all of your family's game time needs. At Hatfield, we bring the highest standards from our family to yours. Hatfield, winning flavor, game day, and every day. Visit simplyhatfield.com. Hey, uh, I'm talking to Brian Price, pitching coach for your Philadelphia Phillies, right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Big thing that I want to ask you, uh, you're a coach, you're a teacher, um, and I we've had this conversation before, uh, but the one thing I want to ask is the evolution of you as a coach now because of, uh, you know, I asked you the question earlier about what's changed. Well, okay, so now this year, in a in a very micro sense, we're looking at this has never been done before, never seen as far as you know spring and then shutting down. How have you 
tried to position yourself as a pitching coach for the players, as a safeguard, as someone to, you know, relay information and, and, and check in on like you've had, is this almost a new learning experience for yourself as well as it, uh, for, for being a coach and being a teacher part? Oh boy, for sure. I mean, it's, um, you know, I mean, I've made my first zoom call, you know I mean? Get, hey, getting on the zoom calls. I know, I know. I, I'm impressed with my, <laughs> with my learning ability at this age, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's utilizing the technology. And, and the other part is, you know, uh, you know, there's a big change in generation. You know, when I first started coaching, I was 27 and I was dealing with kids that were, you know, 18 to 22. And then, and then, you know, when I got to the big leagues, I was 37 and actually I had Jamie Moyer on the staff and he was my age, you know, at Jose Mesa. And, you know, I had some, some older guys, you know? Um, and so, uh, but now I'm 57. A lot of these kids. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. So, no. <laughs> Well, so let's, yes. So, so now you're going, okay. So now I'm 57 and, and some of our best players are 30 years or 30 years plus, you know, uh, younger than I am. And so it's that, that the challenge is relatability. And in a lot of these guys, they, they respond more through text messaging. Um, a lot of times, you know, when I call, I, I end up leaving a message, I'll get a text back in return and, and we'll send video stuff, you know, they'll send me video stuff and we'll communicate that way. And plenty of guys that still, you know, like to talk on the phone and have regular contact, but it's, it's not, you know, being upset or offended by the fact that these guys want to communicate with, uh, uh, you know, in, in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. it, we were so limited, you know, when I first started, yeah. you know, we were just getting into cell phones. And so you'd, you'd make a phone call or you'd send, you know, maybe be able to send a text, which took you about 30 minutes to send a forward text message back then. But um, learning how to do that and, and learning how to identify and connect with a younger generation of people that do things differently than, than I do it was probably the biggest challenge. But the thing is, it's been great about the Phillies is they've given us every single tool uh, and opportunity to stay connected with our guys. Um, and we do with great regularity. And uh, we just try to give them perspective on what to expect to the best of our ability and give them guidelines and also understand that not everybody that we have in our organization has the same uh, um, ability to have, you know, throw five or six days a week and throw two bullpens and have a mound and have a catcher and have a long toss partner. So this has challenged every organization in a myriad of ways. And I think everyone's doing the best they can to, to keep these guys ready as best as possible. Yeah. It's, and it's one of those things that I, I'm, maybe I'm speaking out of turn on this, but you're not, so much trying to be the best. Like I, I got better than, you know, this guy and as a pitching coach and all this, you guys are, is there any sense of, uh, you know, maybe calling or I I'm, I'm asking because I don't know, uh, calling around and seeing how they're interacting like other pitching coaches, or is it within, you know, like you and Lundy and, and Goddard and, uh, talking to each other that way. And, and all the pitching coaches throughout the system, like, is that, the communication part, you know, in, in trying to make sure that everyone's on the same page and, you know, whether or not you're, you're reaching out to others around the league to see how they're accomplishing these things. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit of everything. I think there's nobody here wants to feel like they, they, uh, they miss the boat mm -hmm. in this process. And I think organizationally, um, 
you know, the bulk of the conversations uh, beyond uh, our outside relationships with other people and other organizations are, are re revolve around, you know, our, our training and medical staff, our strength and conditioning staff, and a, and a, a myriad of pitching coaches in our system, uh, as, as well as our, you know, as our uh, R&D department, and trying to get this right and set uh, goals. Um, because the one thing we don't know is we don't have we don't know an end game. We don't have an yeah. end game here. Yeah. You know, we don't have a first uh, opening day, uh, first day of spring training, and opening day uh, length of season. We have all these things that are put out there. Eighty-two game yep. season starting on Fourth of July, great, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen. So we have to look at our best case and worst case scenarios, and everywhere in between. And what would our goal be in a worst case scenario here? Because because doing nothing to me isn't an option. Uh, I think that if you're if you're going to be really good at this game, if you're going to be as good as anybody in the world in this game, be able to compete at the major league level, this is an opportunity to continue to get better. Every time, as a pitcher, every time you have a chance to throw the baseball, both as a, as a, just playing catch and and more importantly, probably than that, is is the quality of your bullpen work is an opportunity to get better. You know, for Addison Russ to put something in. Uh, into his uh, into his game, maybe that he learned from a, a Hector Neris or somebody else, um, you know, a coach or a player that he talked to in spring training. Is practice makes perfect in this game, and especially with pitchers, you have a finite amount of practice. You can't take, you can't throw 300 pitches a day mm -hmm. like hitters might take 150, 200 swings a day. You can't do that as a as a uh, as a pitcher. So you have to really utilize your time wisely, and also have to understand that. Regardless of how much we play in 2020, there's going to be 2021, and you got to be conditioned for that. Yep. Um, so we ask our guys to, to to work hard and to continue to practice because um, because they have to get some uh, volume out of 2020 as well. Through, <laughs> I ask this because I I find it doesn't matter money or not uh, who has the most, and you know you could be a young guy in this. Is there someone that you find to be more creative than others as far as you know having to uh, figure out what to do, who to throw to, uh, that you might've gotten video from you're going, damn, that's, that's a lot of work to get that going. I love it. Like, but is there someone that like steps out in, in your mind that you're going, damn, you're, you're creative. Well, I mean, we do have guys and I'll, I'll, I'll leave their names off of it, but, but the, the guys that have had to go out and, you know, are throwing in, you know, a apartment building garage, you know, hmm. or, or in a tennis court into a tennis net. I've gotten some video from guys that are throwing on some pretty rudimentary uh, pitcher's mounds. Um, but I've got guys that are, you know, guys that are throwing to their brother-in-law who's not a baseball player. Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, you know, you've you, there, there's we found I know down the street just with uh, with Austin Davis is, you know, that, that he had a facility and he had a, a catch partner and didn't have a catcher. And so I was able to find a kid that was a high school kid five years ago uh, that uh, um, that caught another kid I was working out in, in the Scottsdale area. And this kid's playing junior college ball, so he's not playing right now. Their season's shut down, and he's over there catching Austin over at the high school here in, in mm -hmm. North Scottsdale. Um, and other guys in, you know, they're in the state of Florida that aren't close enough uh, to anyone to, to really have a, a partner and that we're finding facilities and, and people to catch and things of that nature. It's, it's an incredible challenge. Yeah. It, it really is, unless you're in that situation where you have a, a close buddy that lives nearby and someone that can catch you when, you know, whenever you need them to. And, and, uh, it's been a challenge, but it's been, it's, it's, uh, guys have worked hard to find their way around them. Which is fun as a, as a coach to find the guys that are, were willing, 
not only willing to do anything and everything, but like just be creative. Make sure that your craft, like we we go back to the word craft because you got to hone it. And whether we don't know, you know, the timing on all this stuff is going to happen, they got to be ready. And so the question I have is, do you set up a plan like, okay, so you might hear all the rumors and, and all this stuff, but is there a plan in, in your mind in general where you're going, okay, if we start here, this is where we got to be. The, you know, if we start here, we got to be here. And, and the contingency plans continue to change and everything. Is it is it a constant change for you as far as adapting to players, um, what may happen, or not even worrying about what may happen, just being ready to go for select dates? Well, a little bit of both, because, you know, when we left shortly after we all came home from Clearwater, um, it was announced that uh, uh, I I can't say it was announced. Maybe it was, but it was implied that, you know, baseball wouldn't return any sooner than May 15th. So we use that as our guidelines on how to prepare the pitchers uh, to be ready for a shortened spring training beginning May 15th and Mm -hmm. what our goals were uh, for starters and length relievers and short relievers. And so we put that plan in place. And so they continued, our pitchers continued to throw, even though it was slightly modified from what they were doing in spring training, uh, as far as the frequency. Um, and we got them away from the mound for two weeks and then we, and eh, was it two? Yeah. And it was actually about a month. And then we got them back on the mound, the mound on April 15th. Um, and then of course, as we got closer to May, we realized that, uh, there was really no chance that May 15th was going to work. And so we decided that not, not, not only were we going to modify the plan, but we were going to uh, understand the importance that, that, uh, that these guys need to throw. Mm-hmm. They need to throw for practice. They need to throw to build volume for 2021. And that we had a lot of guys that would benefit from the workload because uh, they didn't have a ton of innings last year. Look at uh, Spencer Howard as a yeah. great example. Through about 90, 95 innings all of last year. And if this kid's going to be in our rotation at some point, you know, we're not going to be able to pitch him 100 innings or 115 innings and say, okay, your season's over. You know, if we're in the yeah. thick of things, you know, well, this kid's got to be able to take on some volume. So bottom line is, as we said, you know, there's no way that you're going to be able to replicate the amount of workload that you're going to, you'd have if we were in season. So we don't fear throwing off the mound a couple of times a week and getting some high volume there because any of these guys would be throwing way more if we were in season. So we just haven't really put a pause on it since April 15th. We've just been forging ahead uh, until, until baseball resumes. These guys uh, should anticipate and, and have been encouraged to continue to throw off the mound a minimum of twice a week. Um, not only for their readiness for 2020, but for volume um, for 2021. I, I just want to know, like, at what point we'll find out and figure out the ramifications, right? Like, as far as when you bring up workload, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, how do you keep guys? Like, this might be a huge positive for Aaron Nola where, you know, you get back-to-back, you know, 200-plus inning years, and you're like, okay, you're not throwing – the, the bullets are still there. And you, you, I'm not saying it's a positive. None of this is a positive. But when you look at it in a perspective of athletics, you're like, okay, we could pull back a little bit, but to keep him fresh, right? As far as his freshness is continuing to pitch uh, and and do that. But how do you keep that, you know, that that buildup? Because it's not injury that's keeping him from getting to 200 innings. It's a a pandemic. It's something that's different because this guy was on pace to do, you know, a a third year in a row of doing that. And that's that's a huge accomplishment. 
It is. And I, and I think we're going to have to, it's kind of like a presidency, you know, you have to let it, you have to get past it by a decade or two to see really how yeah. influential or impactful a president was in positive or negative way. Um, we may have to be removed from the game for five or seven or eight, 10 plus years to really see what the repercussions were um, from guys that are throwing 200 innings that if they only get in, you know, what if they only get in 80 innings this year or 100, will there be ramifications in yeah. 2021 or 22, 23, et cetera? And we don't know that yet. I, I, I think the game has changed so much from how we train and, and, and the kid gloves in which we, we put on the, on the pitchers and we treat the pitchers. Is, let's say as an example, these these uh, pitchers, these professional pitchers, big league pitchers that went off and were and fought in World War II, you know, and they come back and and you know throw, you know maybe they throw as many if not more innings than they did the two or three years earlier when they when they played, or you know maybe they got hurt and we never heard from them again and 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 we didn't know who they were to begin with, you know, because it's you know that that's you know eighty years ago, you know seventy five years ago, so you're kind of going, okay, you know <laughs> how do how are we going to be able to do this in such a way where we're responsible to our pitchers and not you know taking them into a place yeah. where it's going to increase the probability of injury, but with also going you know we got the, in order to play the game, pitchers have to go on the mound and throw the baseball, yeah. so. It's kind of a catch-22, and every organization is going to do absolutely their best to take care of their players and keep them healthy. Um, but it, time will tell, you know, who's most successful. Yeah, I just – I look, I, I've i been fortunate enough in my, my life, my baseball career, to be able to talk to Willie Mays a ton. And, you know, you talk about the, the that time going from war to, you know, pitchers throwing, you know, 250-plus innings. Uh, hitters just going and, and coming back and hitting Ted Williams, one being one of those. But mm -hmm, like, really sure. like, what'd you do in the offseason? You guys never lifted. He goes, man, I just played. Ba I played basketball all day. Like that was mm -hmm. our life. And you're going, wow, how how the evolution of you know training has has changed. I mean, you go to spring training to get into shape back in the day, and now it's you better be ready to go from day one. Like it is incredible to think of how not only athletics has changed. I, I mean limited sport but whatever that sport may be but the, the athletics and training all year round and and eating and everything it's going my god this is crazy oh it's 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 nuts i mean you think about it we're not that far removed uh you and i at least um and i'm quite a bit older than you are but but from you know the times where players uh, went home and worked in the off season, big league players. I remember Lou Pinella telling me, I think he won the 1969 rookie of the year award. I think it was 69. And he went back home and he worked and sold slacks at JC Penney. The guy won the rookie of the year. These guys go out and card shows and are, you know, or there, there's different ways, to, you know, and, and the minimum is such, you know, the minimum, the minimum for a big league player is such and different ways to generate, uh, cash and sign, signing bonuses are so much more significant. And I'm not just not, look. I, these guys work their tails off. Yeah. But they do it year round now yeah. because you know many and not all of them, but but many of them have the ability in which to do that. But it takes a huge commitment to to be a baseball player 12 months out of the year or 11 months out of the year. Um, and it's a completely different mindset than these guys whose seasons ended and then they had to go out there and find a job to pay the bills until spring training came back around. And so it's it's completely different world with a whole different set of challenges. Yeah. What I, I don't know how you are. And this is not, again, this is not about a rumor or anything, but you know, let's say it was 82 games. How excited are you to see these guys just strap it on and 
absolutely. I mean, it's a sprint. Like these guys are going to be, you guys all are going to be in a sprint. I mean, you, you put yourself in a coaching spot in a managing spot. You're going, damn, that would be, whew, it's going to fly by. It's going to be a college season for these guys. Yeah. An unrelenting college season. I don't imagine there's a ton of off days built in there, but I, I think that first of all, the excitement of being back together and getting a chance to play baseball, uh, I think will go beyond, take us beyond the fact that there may not be any fans in the stands. You know, I think it's the love of playing the game, I think is always going to be there. Yeah. It's just, it's such an un- incredible game to play and there's those little moments where you have when you get a big strikeout or a guy gets a big base hit to to give his team the lead or make a, a great play it's those little highs that you get from playing it that keep us all motivated to play it and chase that next moment you know yeah. and so i think we that can sustain an 80 80 plus game schedule and postseason where maybe 14 teams will be involved i think that's that's pretty awesome um so i i i, I just uh I don't even remember your initial question because I ramble like I do, no, but no, I just you, think the, it's just, it. it's, yeah, it's just, that there's so much uh, love for the competition and the camaraderie about this game, which is absolutely the best thing. I mean, I've said it a million times. I mean, baseball is like a traveling fraternity house oh, of people from all different religions, ethnic backgrounds, you know, personalities, etc., that are into this melting pot of, adoration for a game that they play and it's and i'm 57 and i love it and i miss it when i'm not in it so and and you know you're in it you know you found your your niche in this game for a guy that that had a really nice career and now you know it's just hard to get away from it full time oh i love it i I love being able to talk about it you know and it's like one of those things where in the broadcast booth because we have a bond we all have a camaraderie there mm-hmm. as well i mean that that's something i miss like you could talk on the phone all you want it's not the same as being in person talking to the person next to you or you know and, and sharing that 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 love for the game that that we all have i mean in, in different ways but it's it's just fun to be able to feel it see it do it all at the same time and and, and it's something i miss and you know like you said you miss it we all miss it but the sprint's going to be amazing <laughs> it's, you know what? And you're right. And I'll tell you, that's that's to me is why it's going to be so important for these teams to get off the good starts. Right. Mm-hmm. Is, is everyone's chopping at the bit. You're going to have your best players. You're going to have your best whatever your your bomb squad guys that are that are going to be there available to you if you have injury or guys that are struggling or whatever. And you can flip guys out. But you're going to have and everybody's in it. 82 game season, 14 playoff spots. Everybody should be pushing to get into the postseason. And but if you get out to that 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 start that puts you down by eight or nine games after after twenty you know twenty five games thirty games, it's going to be a tough way to go with only fifty games to go. Yeah. You know it, it's you have to stay in it. You can't say okay, well you know all right. So we go you know you go you have a, a ten win or an eight win month to start the season. It's like man, it's going to be hard to recover because there's going to be teams that are you know that are that are going to be out ahead of you. And you got to stay with the pack. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to stay. You can't get too far away from the pack, or it's uh, it's, it's going to be a long, short season. Well, it, it's going to be fun <laughs> because you're going to see, I think, a lot of uh, gratitude. I, I, well, at least I hope. You know, whether you're the players, coaching staff, broadcasters, whoever it may be, gratitude to the game and 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 showing that we're back and together, and we miss it and. Uh, you know, be a part of the healing process. And, and I know that, you know, you're excited to 
uh, get back with the boys whenever that may be. And I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah. Well, and I'm grateful to you for having me on Kevin, another, you're a wonderful Bay area representative <laughs> and, uh, and a great Philly as well. So, um, I, I gotta tell you, I really look forward to this conversation and enjoyed it. You ask great questions and it's fun just to banter back and forth with you. I really enjoy it. Well, we'll do it again. I, I, I'll give you a pat. Now. I might even give you a hug for the third one. All right. So the pat's the second time a hug is a third. There you go. I can't wait. I'm motivated. I'm focused. I appreciate it. Thanks, dude. All right. Take care, Kevin. I'll see you. All right. And you talk about someone that, it, for me, has changed a lot of the culture with Joe Girardi has been Brian Price. Those two words together. Brian Price. His pitching coach, his ability for him to uh, listen, um, to treat these guys like they are an individual, you know, not like they're a collective bunch going, no, we got to do the same. They're all doing a collective um, idea, which is to help win the, the, the Phillies win games, but in an individual way, you have ways to do it. And he's finding those ways. Uh, Jim Gott, Dave Lundquist, all amazing, all working together and uh, just tremendous. This pine tar, for breakfast was brought to you by Hatfield Quality Meats, makers of delicious Hatfield Phillies Franks. Again, I am appreciative of you as a Phillies fan, hopefully a baseball fan in general, listening to Pine Tower for breakfast at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Until next time. Peace.